a good day, is it not, church? He is risen. There we go. We'll get there. This morning, I want to look at John chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, and just looking at two verses, verses 25 and 26. Hear hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this morning, I want us to consider this idea, this idea, uh, the question that demands an answer, the question that demands an answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, once again, we praise you because we know we come and gather in this place to celebrate because you did what only you could do. You conquered sin, you conquered death, you conquered the grave. And I ask, Lord, that you would give me physical and spiritual strength to preach your word to your people, for we are ready to hear from you on this Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. The question that demands an answer. You know, every day, you and I, we answer thousands of questions. Some of them posed by others, some of them posed by ourselves and many of the questions we're not consciously aware that we're answering let me give you an example this morning uh, you got up and you had to answer the question what do I want to eat this morning for breakfast now I doubt that many of you had to ask that question out loud and go through the process of rationally deciding what you wanted to eat most of you opened up your cabinet said that cereal looks good and you grabbed the first cereal you saw. Some of you went to the table and saw that the question had been answered for you because somebody made you breakfast this morning. We ask and answer questions like, what do we want to wear? What do we want to do? Where do we want to go? And in the grand scheme of things, these questions seem relatively inconsequential, but we have to ask them and we have to answer them. But then there are questions that we will have to ask and answer in our lives that have weightier consequences. Some of us have had to ask the hard questions of how much access of ourselves we will give to that person who continues to hurt us. Some of us have had to, made, had to make the hard decisions and answer questions regarding the care of loved ones who could not make decisions for themselves. Some parents have had to ask and answer hard questions about the future of their children for their good and their development. Some of you had to answer the hard question, or hopefully it wasn't a hard question, of will you marry me? We're always answering questions. And here's the thing. We tend to judge the importance of a question based on the impact of the answer. And what I mean is this, we, we don't tend to take questions lightly that have the potential to alter the course of our lives. We, we take them very seriously because we know that whatever answer we give to a significant question will have a meaningful and potentially life-changing consequence. Now, here's the reason I bring all that up. I'm not here to talk about questions. I'm here to talk about the resurrection. But the reason that I mention all of this is because in our text this morning, Jesus poses a question. 
And he poses it to Martha. So let me set the scene for you. We're in John 11, and at the beginning of John 11, Jesus is in the Jordan River Valley with his disciples. And while he's there, he receives word that his dear friend Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary, all three of them very dear to Jesus. And he receives word that Lazarus, his friend, is sick and that he's likely going to to die. Now, Jesus is about 20 miles away from Bethany where Lazarus lays dying. Now, for many of us, that's a hop in the car, be there in about 15 minutes. Well, the terrain that Jesus would have had to cover meant that it was about a day's walk for him, maybe, maybe three quarters of a day, but it would have taken him a minute to get there. And he receives word that he's sick, he's likely going to die. And rather than immediately going to his friend, Jesus decides to stay two more days in the Jordan River Valley. And he makes this statement in verse 4. He says that when Jesus heard that he was sick, he says, The sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Yet, while Jesus is still in the River Valley, Lazarus, his friend, he dies. And so it's then that Jesus tells his disciples of his death and that they should go to Bethany. And upon arrival, Martha, Lazarus' sister and Jesus' dear friend, says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, don't miss this, displaying an incredible faith, says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus makes his statement. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And the question that he poses at the end of that statement, do you believe this, is a question that every one of us has to answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It is the question that I want to pose to you this morning. Do you believe this? Now before you answer that question. I want us to make sure that we understand the statement that Jesus is making that demands an answer from Martha and it demands an answer from every one of us sitting in this room. So I want to walk through Jesus' statement, make sure we we have a good idea of what he's saying and what he's asking. And so Jesus begins his statement with these words. He says, I am. Now, it's easy to skip over those words and jump right into what we typically think is the most significant part of the verses, but I want to just pause and consider for just a moment the weight of those two words, I am. And by saying this, Jesus is teaching us something about himself. He is making a claim, check this out, not just about what he does, but about the very nature and character of who he is. In the book of John, there are seven significant I am statements. Many of them you might have heard before. In John 6.35, I am the bread of life. In John 8.12, I am the light of the world. In John 10.7-9, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10.11, I am the good shepherd. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
In John 15, I am the true vine. And in our text this morning, I am the resurrection and the life. But here's why each of those seven statements are so significant. Each of those seven statements are a fulfillment of God's promise in the Old Testament. I am the bread of life in John 6. Jesus is the fulfillment of the manna in the wilderness. He is our sustenance. I am the light of the world in John 8. Jesus is the pillar of fire that would lead God's people to the promised land. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the better shepherd promised in Ezekiel 34 all the way down to our text this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. This is a fulfillment of promise. When God said in Hosea 6.2, He will revive us after two days, and on the third day He will raise us up so we can live in His presence. Jesus is the one promised in Ezekiel 37 who will open graves and give life to dry bones. Jesus is making a claim about who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the one who has been promised, the coming Redeemer, the Savior of the world. And he and he alone can save people from their sins. But there's something else about that I am statement that comes to mind, at least for me. That statement, I am, is significant to the story of deliverance in Old Testament. You, you do remember, don't you, Exodus chapter 3? As Moses is tending his sheep in the wilderness and he sees a sight to to behold a a bush that's burning but it's not being consumed and as he walks closer to it a voice tells him take off your sandals because the ground you are standing on is holy ground. From the bush, a voice calls to Moses and instructs Moses that he will be the one to lead God's people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. But do you remember Moses' response? I love it. He's a little fearful, but he's not just afraid of God. He's not just afraid of Pharaoh. He's actually afraid of the Israelites. He's afraid that they won't accept him when he comes to them and says, God told me that I'm your deliverer. It's kind of a wild claim, isn't it? Some guy showing up after 40 years in the wilderness, God told me that I was going to deliver you. And he's afraid that they won't, they won't receive him. And so Moses asks the burning bush, he asks God in the bush, he says, when they ask me who, ask me who sent me, what name should I give? And Exodus 3.14 tells us, and God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am who I am. Another way that you can translate that in the Hebrew, I love it, is I am that which I have always been. Okay, now track with me. So let's go back to John 11. Jesus says, I am. Okay, y'all ain't with me. Here we go. Jesus is making the claim that he is God, but not just that. He is making the claim that he is who he has always been. Jesus is not saying, I am now the resurrection and the life. He is saying that I am that which I have always been. I have always been hope. I have always been deliverance. I have always been resurrection. I have always been life. The one who Abraham placed his faith in is me. The one who Moses represented is me. The one David was meant to reflect is me. The one the prophets spoke of and longed for is me. Any hope that has ever been, any deliverance that has ever come, any whisper of resurrection and any spiritual life that has ever been granted is because I am that which I have always been. 
And what Jesus is teaching us, I love this, is that the resurrection, it declares to us that our deliverance was not an afterthought for God. That God has been planning salvation and resurrection from the beginning of time. Listen, that says something about the love of God for you. That when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead on the third day, it was not God responding to events that he didn't expect to happen. It was the deliverance and the life that he had been planning from the beginning of time coming to fruition. Jesus has always been resurrection from the dead. Redemption and deliverance has been on God's heart before he made you and me. But notice what he says after declaring, I am. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if the I am statement speaks to the divinity of Jesus, then the resurrection and the life speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus. In other words, he is not a resurrection. He is not a life. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm reminded of what one of the other I am statements says where Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive claim. You know, over the years, I've had the privilege of being invited to some of our local university campuses to teach on different things. But one of my favorite invites that I've received, and I received it for a few years but it was from a sociology class that actually invites religious leaders to share their faith's perspective on the issue of social justice. So just in case you're unclear, I presented the Christian perspective on social justice. But one of those years, as a result of one of the religious leaders becoming ill, he wasn't able to speak to the class. And so the professor actually invited all of us there at the same time, because normally we spoke at different times. Uh, and so... We'd met each other, gotten to know one another, but he invited us all back to do a panel discussion. And, and it was interesting. I don't remember the question that was posed by a student because they were allowed to ask us some questions. But I remember the professor turned, or, or I'm sorry, I don't, I don't remember the question that was posed, but I remember that the professor turned to my Muslim friend presenting the Islamic perspective on social justice. Again, I don't remember the question, but I'll never forget his statement because he said this. He said, the beauty of this conversation is that while all of us hold to different faiths, we're all trying to get to the same God. We're just taking different paths. Well, you know me. I couldn't sit quiet on that one. And I turned to him. It's a true story. And I said, with all respect, friend, you are wrong. Because the beauty of my faith is that I am not trying to get to God. The beauty of my faith is that God came to me. Because there is no way I could have gotten to him. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. And the life, and I don't want you to miss this, Jesus does not say he provides resurrection. He does not say he allows resurrection. He does not say he orchestrates resurrection. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I am resurrection. 
And there's hope in that, brothers and sisters, because it means that when we are coming to him, we are not coming to someone who can just provide resurrection, who may allow for resurrection, who might orchestrate resurrection. We are coming to the one who is resurrection. It is guaranteed because it is a part of who he is. What I'm trying to tell you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you don't have to worry if you're going to get up at the end of all of this. Because we're not hoping that Jesus can do it. He is saying, I am resurrection. Now we have to stop for just a minute and consider the audacity of that claim. You know, the world, the world by and large doesn't have a problem with the claim that Jesus lived. The world's cool with that. The world will acknowledge a historical Jesus who lived nearly 2,000 years ago. There's enough historical evidence to prove that. They'll even go so far as to say that he was a good moral teacher and an example to follow. The world's fine with that. Many people don't even have a problem believing that Jesus was a prophet sent by God. No one has any problem with the idea that he suffered under Roman rule and was crucified on a hill called Calvary. But where the world struggles is with what comes next. Yes, he lived. Yes, he taught. Yes, he was sent by God. Yes, he suffered and died on a hill called Calvary. But his story does not stop there because then, three days later, on Sunday morning, he got up. And I'm trying to tell you the reason that we gather in this place this morning is because as audacious as that claim is, as exclusive as that claim is, Jesus backed it up. Oh yeah, you don't have to say amen. I know it's true. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is not one of many paths, but the only path. I know it to be true because you can go to the green dome in Medina, Saudi Arabia, and you can see the place where Muhammad's body still lays. You can go to Jining, China and visit the cemetery of Confucius. You can go to Xingxuan, China and see where they found the ashes of Buddha in a pot. But I'm trying to tell you, you may find the tomb of Christ, but there ain't going to be nobody there. Because the grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him. Sin could not beat him. And after dying to pay the penalty for the sins of you and me, he rose from the dead with all victory in his hands. I'm trying to tell you the grave is empty. The throne is occupied and the victory is secure. I am the resurrection and the life. It's an audacious claim, church. But can I tell you? It gets even more audacious than that. Because look at what Jesus says next. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You see, the audacity of the resurrection does not stop with Jesus. The audacity continues because he extends it to us. Now, there are two things I want you to see in this claim. When Jesus says, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Two things. This statement of Jesus extends the resurrection to you and me and gives us both a future hope and a present hope. So let's talk about the future hope. He says, the one who believes in me even if he dies, will live. Jesus is looking ahead in our lives and he's saying, listen, if you believe in me, there's going to come a day where you're going to die, but when you die, 
you will live. It's a future hope. What Jesus is acknowledging is that as a result of sin in this world, death reigns. We know it to be true, don't we? You can turn on your news and you know that death reigns. Just yesterday, another shooting in Columbia, South Carolina at a mall. We know that death reigns in this world. Every one of us, barring Jesus coming back, will face physical death. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. If you in Christ, I'm the bearer of good news, but I'm just trying to tell you. At some point, your heart will stop beating and your lungs will stop functioning. Your life will end. But the beauty of the death and resurrection of Jesus is though it is destined for a man to die once, it is not destined for every man to die twice. And with that second death, I'm not talking about a physical death, I'm talking about a spiritual death. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin and wickedness makes it impossible to dwell with God in heaven forever. We need a righteousness that we don't have. And I don't know, I feel like I'm trying to convince somebody in this room this morning. If you came in here thinking you're a good person, you don't measure up. We can roll through the first three of the Ten Commandments and I could prove it to you, but I ain't going to do it. Maybe I will. You ever taken something that wasn't yours? These aren't the first three, by the way. But you ever taken something that wasn't yours? I saw somebody say, no, you never looked at somebody else's homework in school. That wasn't your answer. Hey, you're a thief. You ever, you ever told, told a lie about somebody? You, you can talk back. Come on, what are we doing? You ever told a lie? Because if you didn't say yes, you're a liar. Liar. You don't measure up. And I know we might make light of it in this moment, but the reality is that, that the Bible says if you commit one sin, you're guilty of all. You're guilty of all. You would have had to have been per- perfect from the moment you took your first breath. And I'm just telling you, not a one of us has measured up. And the Bible tells us that because of that, we are by nature children of wrath. We deserve hell, death, and and separation from God for all of eternity. But the beauty of the gospel is that the righteousness that we need and we don't have is extended to us through Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. If you don't know, that's what we're singing about. That's what we're shouting about. That's why we're happy. Because Jesus Christ showed up God in flesh, he walked the very earth that we walked and he did what we could not do. He kept the law perfectly. He deserved no punishment and no death and yet he willingly went to the cross and he died a death that we deserve to die. They crucified him. He was dead, not sleeping, not passed out. He died dead. And they put him in a tomb. But the story goes, and we believe it, that three days later, he got up. And when he got up, he said that you place your faith in me. I have conquered sin. I have conquered death. I have conquered the grave. I will take your sin, pay for it on the cross, and give you my righteousness so that you and I can dwell with God forever. That's the beauty of the gospel. And you know, even as I share that beautiful gospel message, that's the beauty of what I like to call mundane preaching. I know you're like, no preaching is mundane. Yeah, you're so spiritual. I get it. But let's call it what it is. That's the beauty of what often is considered mundane preaching. Here's what I mean. Every week, I'm going to say the same thing to you. It might be at the beginning of the sermon. It might be in the middle. It might be at the end. But at some point, I'm going to get there. It doesn't matter what part of the Bible I'm in or what series I'm teaching. We could talk about this is the church. I'm going to get to the message. We can be in Revelation like we are right now, finishing up next week. I'm going to get to the message. We're going to go to Judges next. I'm going to get there in Judges. 
You might be tired of hearing it, but I'm not tired of saying it. It might not hit you like it used to, but I know there's power in that message. Let me explain it to you because when, when I was in church as a young child, I had a pastor. I remember it. The things that stick with you. I wasn't a believer, but I remember it. But every week he would say the same thing. He would say that this Jesus, who was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose to life again. And I didn't get it as a child, because every week, people would get so excited as he shared that message. And I never understood why they were always so excited to hear the same thing over and over and over and over. But church, I'm going to tell you, then I started walking with Jesus. And every year that I've walked with Jesus, I'm just going to be honest with you, that message has gotten a little bit more and more exciting to me. And now here's part of the reason why. I know I'm not that old, okay? But every time I hear that message, I'm reminded that I'm one step closer to my death than I was the last time I heard it. And as the years go by, I don't need you to testify. My body testifies to me. That I am closer to my death today than I was yesterday. Because my knees don't bend as easy as they used to. I have to stretch a little bit longer than I did before. My breath runs out a little faster. Now, I'll still run the court, but my breath runs out a little bit faster. My shoulders are a little bit tighter than they used to be. I don't know if that's age or you, but they're tighter than they used to be. But the beautiful message of the gospel is that the closer I get to my physical death because of Jesus, the closer I get to my resurrection because I have believed in the one who is resurrection and who is life. It was the old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who said it like this. There is an essential difference between the death of the godly and the death of the ungodly. Death comes to the ungodly man as a penal infliction but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. To the sinner, it is an execution. To the saint, it is an undressing from his sins and infirmity. Death to the wicked is the king of terrors, but death to the saint is the end of terrors, the commencement of glory. One day I'll preach like that, church. And the fact that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus provides us a hope for the future. We don't look at death the way the world does. We don't fear death the way the world does. Because death for us is a welcoming into glory. But can I tell you this? It doesn't just offer a future hope. The fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life also offers us a present hope. Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Everyone who lives now and believes now will never die. Now here's the thing. Jesus is not saying that you will not experience physical death. He literally just said in the breath before that you will experience physical death. So what is he saying? He is saying that the life now lived in faith now is a life that can be lived with hope now because we know that we will never be separated from God. Though our bodies pass away, our spirit will live with God forever and a new body and a resurrected life is coming. 
And if this is true, if this is true, we have hope right now. Let me say it like this. The resurrection is not a guarantee that things will be easy in this life. The resurrection is not a guarantee that you will live your days in this life with peace and comfort, with perfect health and security. The resurrection is not a guarantee that the rains won't come, the winds won't blow, and the storms won't rage. But what the resurrection is, is a promise that when the rain stops, and when the wind dies down, and when the storm is calm, you will still be standing. I'm trying to tell you, church, the resurrection declares to us that the worst thing that can happen to us will not be the last thing. All right, some of y'all missed your amen. That's fine. I'm going to preach to my own self because my soul is getting happy this morning. The resurrection declares to us that the worst thing that can happen to us will not be the last thing that will happen to us. Yes, Jesus was arrested on false charges. Yes, they lied and slandered and had him convicted. Yes, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was spat on. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a spear in his side. They nailed him to a cross. He was crucified and died they laid his body in a borrowed tomb but three days later he got up he got up with power in his hands he got up with victory in his hands he got up with the keys to death and hell in his hands and his resurrection declares it proves to us that the worst things that can happen to us will never be the last things that happen to us and so we go through life with a real hope believing that sicknesses will come but they will not last That sorrows will come, but they will not last. The heartache will come, but it will not last. And at the end of this life, the worst thing that can happen to you will not be the last thing that happens to you. And we know that this is true because Jesus got up. Trying to tell you that whatever you are going through this morning, whatever heartache you are experiencing or will experience, whatever sickness you are battling, whatever discouragement that you are feeling, the resurrection is positioned to teach us that the greatest weapon Satan has against us will not have the last word. And all of this because we do not serve a dead king. We do not serve a decaying Jesus. We serve a Savior who has crushed the power of death and the grave. We serve a Savior who is seated on his throne and will reign forevermore. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the resurrection and the life, the firstborn from the dead. And the question that we have to answer, the only question that matters is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the resurrection and the life. We praise you that Jesus came and that he lived the life that we should have lived, but we can't do it. And he died the death that we deserve to die, but he did not stay dead. Three days later, rose from the grave, and we know that we have victory because Christ is on his throne. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live in this world as people who have hope, 
Not a hope that everything's going to go the way we want and that life will be easy. Not a hope that we won't get sick and our bank accounts won't be full. But a hope that declares to us that the worst thing that can happen to us will not be the last thing that happens to us. Because we know that one day, just like Jesus rose from the dead, we too will walk in resurrected bodies with you, our God, and our King forever. Give us grace to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.